I like that. I need to walk in humility. Humility. I said I need. I choose grace. I choose power. And I, my friend Edwin, the way she opens her, her, her all her talks, and I'm going to use my own gender <laughs> in this case. But my name is Sean Moninger, and I am a man of great power. Do you believe that? You guys believe I'm someone of great power? Anybody not think I'm powerful? Now, are you powerful? Are you powerful? Are you powerful? Not everybody's nodding yes, because not everybody thinks they're powerful. A lot of us think we're at the mercy of somebody else. We're at the mercy of whether or not God approves of us today. I learned many years ago, through, through a lot of healing and a lot of stuff, of what true humility is. Does anybody remember, besides David, what I say <laughs> true humility God's is? Best. What? Expecting God's best. Expecting God's best. That's what real humility is. To expect God's best. To assume God's best. Not God's whimsy. If God, if God finds favor with you. True humility is not to bow at the feet and hope that a light will be shown upon you. That's not humil that's humiliation. That's embarrassment. And it's constantly saying, hmm, I might not be good enough. And I grew up hearing about a God that was not entirely different than Santa or the police. And they were always looking to catch me doing something wrong. That's what I was taught by one specific adult who had great influence over my thinking when I was a child. And so it told me that adults that we thought we would think is supposed to love you, and maybe even like you, uh, would teach us about love. But you see, if that adult didn't know about love, if that adult wasn't aware that she was loved, how could she teach me about adult, or about love? If that adult had no idea that she was loved by a loving God. How could she ever teach her children about love? And that there is a kindness in the world. And so that's why I can understand. And at certain point, I think I was 32 when I got, maybe 33 when I got it. Those people had no tools for raising children. I also understood at 33, I have no tools for raising children. <laughs> and when I got that, it was easy. I could start the forgiveness process. And I could start to let them off the hook, those adults, one in particular, for uh, not knowing what to do with me. For not, you know, my brothers, they've dealt with it in their own way. I was told I would be set free if I could experience forgiveness around all this and embrace God. Embrace a loving God that loved me and could never not love me. And I thought, I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that when I heard this crazy woman rant about her day every night at midnight on West 46th Street in the smoking section uh, of a healing group. And she would end it with, but I know God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free.
So I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to keep learning more about this. And I thought, God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free. I have no idea. No one ever said that in my house. I never heard that in the Christian church we went to as a child when I was a child. Never heard that God's will for me was to be happy, joyous, and free. I was told to love God, and I was told that God loved me, and yet they still had hell. Made no sense. They didn't tell me that hell was a state of my mind. They told me that hell was a place I was going to go to if I weren't better behaved. No. What I heard was, it was a place I was going to go to if I weren't perfectly behaved. If I, if I didn't have any flaws, then I might be worthy. And I was taught that there was a go-between rather than a friend, rather than a teacher, rather than a way-shower. I was taught there was a go-between that I had to worship. It makes no sense, and it's mean. It's mean, and I, I, feel I just had to abandon it. I abandoned Jesus altogether because it, there was nothing logical about it. I thought, I'm sure Jesus was perfectly fine, but if I can't communicate directly with my source, if I can't communicate directly with God just as Jesus did, then none of this makes sense, and it's more rules to try to control me. And anybody who has worked with me or lived with me knows <laughs> control is not your best tactic to get you, uh, you, me to do what you want me to do. Anybody who's served on a board with me knows. Micromanaging doesn't bring out Sean's best. It doesn't help me to shine my light. And when I get defensive, when I start to buy into the smallness of the world, doesn't help me to shine my light. And that's my doing. That's my part in it. And so, to look at humility, well, wait a minute, I'm expecting God's best today. I'm expecting. And I should not have to apologize for expecting God's best. And neither should anybody here. No matter what anybody says, because some people who are afraid to accept they're good, to admit that they are good with and can't not be, it's easier to diminish or try to diminish another person's light rather than letting their own come through. And we don't have to do it arrogantly, but sometimes it reads rather arrogant. And sometimes it, well, who's he to be so confident? When I knew I had this job many years ago, David couldn't figure it out. It didn't make any sense to him when I came home from my meeting with Andre and I said, oh, that job's mine. It took three more months before they hired me here. But I knew I had lunch with Andre on a Saturday at some diner that I do not know where it exists. It's somewhere in Westchester, I assume. But I couldn't tell you where that diner exists. Yes, you did. And you, crea you created it there for me to pull up and have a great lunch. And I came home and I said, oh, the job's mine. Actually, I knew the job was mine when the phone call came into Unity of New York looking for a, a licensed teacher to be the minister here. I knew. He said, and he, he didn't want to squash my vision, but at the same time, he doesn't come from that background that knows. His, 
I, I just do. There's certain things I know. And when I go a little crazy is when people try to tell me, mm, you better be careful, you could get hurt in your knowing. You're a little too confident, Sean. You think you know too much. Well, you better take you down a peg. I've had more than one person in my life, he needs to be taken down a peg. He just gets everything he wants. Well, why shouldn't I? I only want good things. My opinion. Uh, <laughs> don't you only want good things? My teachers told me I could have them. You know, if, if my good stuff benefits the whole world, shines light on the world. Now, I come from a 12-step program that says attraction rather than promotion. Well, if I have a great healing, somebody's going to say, how do you do that, John? How do you do that? And I could tell them how I did it. And if I live a prosperous life and I don't steal and I don't lie to get it, then I think it's a perfect humility to say, I got it because I prayed. My teacher said, pray this way and this way rather than this way and this way. And everything changed. Everything radically changed and for anybody who doesn't believe they can do the same thing it throws them and they say he's stealing he's lying he's doing something and and and, and so you have to look at that so, oh, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute how do I not be mad at the people who say that and how do I continue to be the light of the world I'm not saying I'm the light of the world but I'm the light of the world I'm the light of God at work. Remember my friend Joy heard that in a class at Unity of New York many, many years ago when we both first started studying the, this stuff. And she heard the, the teacher say, you are the light of God at work. And she took that literally. And she was a word processor at Deutsche Bank downtown. And that night she went to her office to be the light of God at work. <laughs> she was the light of God at her workplace. She took it literally because she didn't like working there till that day. Now that she had a true function besides typing, she was thrilled to go to work every night to be the light of God at work. Start thinking about that. When you go to work tomorrow, I'm the light of God at work. I, I, it's my responsibility to be the light of God at work today. It's my responsibility. And that is full humility. It is never humble to say, I'm less than somebody else. I don't have that kind of talent. I, I used to think I couldn't sing. I can sing. I used to think, how, you know, when I'd see Eric Butterworth and I'd see Edwin Gaines and even my first minister, Paul, how can I do that? And then I heard the voice say, you're not supposed to do that, Sean. They're already doing that. You're supposed to do what you do. And so then it was safe, very safe for me to become a minister and uh, do the ministry that I do. But I listened to the teachers that said, Sean, you can have it all. You can have it all and uh, have a good time doing it and prosper doing it. You can have a relationship. They didn't tell me the amount of work involved in a relationship. And I'm not criticizing him for this. Oh, I've been there too. I'm also in this relationship. And it's work, because uh, we are, we're big people, and we have big thoughts. And he came into it having his idea of what a relationship was, and I came into it having my idea of what a relationship was.
and we didn't want to sacrifice our thoughts of what it was supposed to be. So we began to compete for many years. We competed until finally, and he said, can we please go to therapy? And we did, and for four years now. And we're not competing at home now. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I, a couple of times I was going to walk out, and I said, that will not help my relationship. And I wanted to help my relationship. That this was more important to me than being angry or being right. And in church, people come to church and they've all got their ideas of what church is and what it's supposed to be and what the minister is supposed to be and what the board is supposed to be and what the music is supposed to be and uh, what the sexuality of everyone in church is supposed to be and what, and what the money in the church is supposed to be. And you, then you come to a unity church of all things. And nothing's what you thought it was supposed to be. But if you pay attention, you start, oh, this isn't bad. This really isn't bad. The, uh, the foundation message is, I am good. I am loved and cannot be loved. And there is so much more to life than what I have imagined. And no matter how big any of us have come in here with, we've discovered, oh, I got bigger. I got bigger. And every now and then I'll come across somebody who says, I'm as big as I want to be, Sean, and I'm not getting any bigger. Don't try to make me bigger, Sean. Years ago I learned with retreats. No one has ever asked me to take them to the brink of their discomfort zone. <laughs> no, I get suggestions to do what people like. What's been fun at another retreat? Oh, I like this. Let's do this group thing and let's do this group thing. Nobody says, Sean, I want to be really wildly uncomfortable for five days. <laughs> I want to stretch my skin as far as I can go and my mind and just, I want to hate it. It's so good. I want it to be so good, I hate it. No one's ever said that to me. And nobody in a class has ever said, oh, Sean, can we make this harder to accept? <laughs> Nobody. And so, I, and I, I can't tell you, I've said, oh, come on. Yeah, actually, I have said bring it on before. Years ago, I was teaching a class in the city, and the affirmation I got, or I gave to everyone, including myself, was, okay, God, bring it on. <laughs> Whatever. Bring it on. I'm ready. And it was a hard week. It was a very hard week, and it was a great week of growth, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It was a great week. There have been things that have come up in my spiritual life and my practice that have stretched me to the point where I wanted to give up. I wanted to run and hide and go home and tell myself what God meant, what money meant, what life meant, what ministry meant. I just run and hide, but... Uh, problem is once you start on this path of growth you can't stop it you can't you try but you really can't all you'll do is put yourself in a mental hell all you'll do is limit yourself and make yourself small again and that's unbearable and I, I, I've seen people leave this church in resentment and they don't know where to go they try going to other churches and then they come back and then they leave again 
and then they come back, and they leave again. Then <laughs> they come back, but sometimes they'll come back and they won't speak to me. <laughs> but I'm back. I'm back at my church, but I'm not talking to Sean. <laughs> I will not forgive him for what he did to me. And one, one, our dear Linda, Linda, Linda Rowell came back several times, and uh, and I had said I, I can't work with Linda anymore. I'm not the right one. And then she said, uh, Diane, she said, would you ask him at least to be civil? <laughs> because I was just keeping my distance. I said, I can be civil. And by the end, I could hug her. I stayed open. I listened. And I learned how to hug her. We could kiss. But we didn't have any more real conversations. Because I couldn't give her what she was asking for. The best I could do was love from over here and uh, hold space. And she was a great example of someone who wanted this so much. They wanted, she wanted this community. She wanted other things that couldn't, they couldn't be given, as we know. But, but just, okay, fine, I'll come back. You know, we have not, we've had others who only come back when I'm not speaking. <laughs> but they, 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 they like it here. They like it. There's a sacred space and a sacred community. Now I'm going to read something here. And it's from this book, Aramaic, Aramaic Light on the Gospel of Matthew. Since I'm working on Matthew right now in our Words in Red series. And we're starting on the Beatitudes. And the first Beatitude, of course, is from Matthew 5.3. says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Mr. Errico says that the Aramaic text reads, Blessed are the humble. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Aramaic, the word spirit, or ruha, has many meanings. And in this verse, spirit means pride. And refers to those who are poor in pride. But some people, you know, it's a thing. Well, I know what it should be. I know. Well, yeah, but now suddenly you have put us all in a ditch of what you think you know. And you're not staying open to getting bigger and bigger and bigger and changing and changing and changing. I told you the story with uh, David and me when I found schmutz all over the refrigerator door handle. <laughs> Two years ago. Oh, I went to open that door handle and said, oh man. And suddenly I had an awakening. I mean, four years ago I wanted to move out when I found things like that. I could buy this house across the street. Because, here, and here's why, in that moment when I grabbed the door handle and it was like that, I went, oh, oh, I, I said, David, come here. He, went, he, uh, he told me afterwards, he thought, oh, man, I'm going to get yelled at. And he came over. I said, you see this schmutz on this handle? And he started to apologize, and I said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. For 16 years back then it was, I'd been telling myself I'm not loved because of a sticky door handle. 16 years, I've been telling myself I'm not loved because there's crumbs all over the kitchen floor. I've been telling myself I'm not loved because of things like that. I apologize. That doesn't mean I'm not loved at all. It means your mother didn't teach you how to clean a kitchen. <laughs> but it does mean... <laughs> I will be speaking later. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you don't love me, and I'm so sorry that I ever 
tried to pretend you don't love me over that. It was a great awakening, but I had to feel a great sadness for all the love I had robbed myself of by telling myself I wasn't loved because of this. And so if, you know, to pay attention, I wasn't humble. I, wa I didn't see God's best in my kitchen. I saw something that I experienced as my rule, this should not be this way, and therefore I'm not loved if it is. The humility is I am loved. The humility is I am loved. God is present. And God is present in me now. God is present in David now. Both Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee proclaiming that God's kingdom was at hand. Oh, I, oh, I missed a part. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, spirit means pride and refers to those who are poor in pride. It also refers to the humble, the unassuming, and those who are free from racial pride and prejudice. Jesus usually addressed his message to the poor, oppressed, and underprivileged people. Commonly, the pious poor were those who surrendered to God and were awaiting God's reign on earth. Jesus taught that God's reign was present. And despite the fact that Rome, a Gentile power, was ruling in Palestine, in this verse, Jesus further declared that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the humble. Well, it certainly does. The kingdom of heaven has to belong to those who expect God's best. Not God's wrath. God's best. God's light. God's abundance. God's power and presence. And that, and that it's not separate from any one of us. But it lives in us as divine life, as divine love, as divine thinking, as divine power, as divine knowledge. Every one of us knows with a capital K. We know, and so when we begin to start, start telling ourselves, but I don't know, and you say, but I do know, and then you may have to go talk to someone who you think really does know, and you have a chat, and suddenly the divine spark awakens. Of course I know. I've seen it happen too many times for me and others, so I know it's possible. So the Semites were proud of their ancestry and social standing. Those who were rich and belonged to nobility were reluctant to serve under others. Some people in the Near East, although poor and uncultured, were highly respected and honored because of their ancestry. These people were exempt from particular levies and burdens that others had to bear. Certain Near Easterners would rather starve than do any manual labor because their ancestors were never employed in that type of work. This kind of pride frequently reduced them to poverty and destitution. The Jews were proud that they were Abraham's children. Abraham was the founder of their race and a servant of the living God. The people of Israel believed that Yahweh, their God, was the creator of the universe and that the gods of the other nations were not gods. Therefore, when their enemies defeated them and took them captive, they often despised their conquerors. According to Jesus' teachings, God's kingdom was now arriving at the poor and pride, the humble, would participate in this heavenly reign. This kingdom belonged to them, but those who were holding to false pride would keep themselves from participating in God's dawning kingdom. Blessed are those who have no racial prejudice 
and are accepting of others. Jesus knew that before his nation could find peace, it would have to learn to be meek and unassuming. The people had to be humble and tolerate tolerant before they could expect tolerance from their foreign rulers. So Matthew's gospel uses the expression kingdom of heaven. The other two use the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the word heaven euphemistically. So we are called blessed to be humble. We are blessed to expect God's best. We are blessed when we are free from our prejudices. It's not just racial. Many of us are prejudiced over the sky and the, and the ground. Many of us are prejudiced over so many words. Oh, I don't like that word. Don't use that word. I'm uncomfortable when I hear that word. Many of us are, are prejudiced over expressions, some of abundance and some of lack. Cancel, cancel, cancel. Don't say that. Our prejudices run deep and they run foolish. We hate the people who seem to have some, something over us. And some of us hate the people that we feel responsible to take care of but we don't want to take care of. We have prejudice because of skin color. We have prejudice because of ancestry. We have pride because of skin color. We have pride because of, but our pride is our prejudice as well. Our prejudice come in, we don't like what's different. And the problem is we're the ones who declare what's different. We declare it's different because it looks different rather than looking inside and saying, oh, I'm God's beloved child, so are you. We're not different. We are brother, we are sister, we are one. My humility comes in knowing it. That I don't need you to be different for me to feel more than or less than. I don't need to label you. I will, but I'm going to keep trying not to. <coughs> in my limited thinking, I will keep labeling everyone until I don't anymore. In, my li in your limited thinking, you will keep labeling me and the one on your left and the one on your right based on how they express themselves, based on what tone of voice they use, based on what you think their background is. I've had people say, Sean, you've never struggled. <laughs> and I say, you have no idea what you're talking about. <coughs> and I've looked at others and thought, oh, they never struggled. And that means I have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, she's always had it so easy. What's my relationship with this being today? Uh, I, I see our Carlos, our friend Carlos, who had a big accident this week. Let's hold him in line. He had a big car accident on last Sunday. <coughs> He's already out of the hospital. You know, Carlos, Carlos just, uh, I don't know how many lives he has left because uh, he seems to have so many. But for years, I had Carlos Anderson, who has spoken for us before. He's co-hosted retreats and lives up in Massachusetts. He hit up black ice last Sunday and, and uh, you know Carlos, Carlos I admire him in so many ways but I have to laugh over the years and especially in New York and churches the man will get up and tell you I drink I smoke I get into bar fights I threaten this one I and people say, oh, he has touched the hand of God <laughs> 
He will tell you every awful thing about himself. Oh, Carlos, may I touch the hem of your garment? <laughs> Isn't he amazing? Well, he is amazing because he's a beloved child of God. And he's willing to be an optimist about a lot of things until the days he isn't. In a bar fight. <laughs> no, thank you, God, I want to punch you in the face. No, he's not doing that <laughs> in that moment. But he'll come to a retreat or on a Sunday morning and, and share the wisdom of it. We've all been touched by God. If only we would all admit it. This week, admit every moment I am God's beloved child. I am worthy of the entire kingdom. We all have different visions of the kingdom. Go ahead and experience your vision if it doesn't hurt anyone else. If it doesn't rob anyone of their dignity or their physical well-being, go ahead. As you experience your God self, you will only inspire everybody else to be their God selves. Yay for all of us.